And so, Lord God, we sing hallelujah. Don't always know what it means. It means praise the Lord. But we praise you for your infinite love. And we ask that, Lord, this morning you'd help us to believe it. You would help us to, to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Happy New Year. Happy New Year 2015. Woohoo! Did you make uh, New Year's resolutions? No? Did anybody make any New Year's resolutions? No, a few here, there, yeah. How'd you do on your New Year's resolutions from last year? You did well, Becky? Yeah? Did no, no New Year's resolutions? Yeah. You did terrible. Okay, well then let's all shame Becky and motivate her for to do better. No. <laughs> anyway, when I, was in, when I was in high school, we had, uh, we had these yearbooks. Uh, these are my four yearbooks from high school. And with, with the yearbook, you could keep track of your academic, your athletic, your physical, social, even romantic resolutions every year. Uh, with these resolutions, one would construct the self that hopefully merited life, love, and happiness. Your, your biography got printed in the yearbook your senior year next to your picture. And so this is page 168 from the Heritage High School yearbook for 1978. So check out this guy, for example. See that guy right there? Randy Stone, baseball, 9, 10, 11, 12. All League, 11. Basketball, 9, 10, 11. Football, 9, 10, 11, 12. All League, 11, 12. FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, 9, 10, 11, 12. Homecoming Prince, 12. That's huge. I mean, there can only be one of those, only one Homecoming Prince. 1978, I was a junior. And since my freshman year, I had resolved to have a great senior biography for I knew that I would be judged by the things recorded in the book, the, the yearbook. Because of the book, I was driven by fear. And because of the book, I did things that I hated to do. My freshman year, I went out for the soccer team and, and I really loved soccer. But my sophomore year, I got cut from the soccer, I wanted to die. I got cut from the soccer team. Well, I, I couldn't do nothing for then I'd be nothing for I'd have no deeds recorded in the book. And so I ran cross, cross country. I, I joined cross country. <laughs> I absolutely hated cross country. And then later in the year, I joined track. I absolutely hated track. And then my junior year, I was on the swim team. I absolutely hated swim team because I sank like a rock. Because of the book, I was driven by fear. I did things I hated to do, and I actually hated the people that I did them with, including myself. Because in high school, everything seemed to be competition, as if we actually believed that life was not love, but the survival of the fittest. Academic life, athletic life, social life, even love life was all competition. Therefore, your success or one's success was always based on someone else's failure. So even though you acted like you loved people and hoped that they'd get a good grade and you hoped that they won the race, you secretly hoped that they'd fail and lose the race. Why? Because there can only be one homecoming prince. 
So trying to make yourself the homecoming prince is secretly hating all your friends, which is to make yourself totally alone, which is then to hate yourself because you're trapped in hell. Well, this is page 168, uh, and this is page 178. There I am. Braces, hair parted in the middle. I had rather poor hand-eye coordination, and Alan Parsons, who's sitting right there, Alan Parsons always beat me in track and swimming. I was what you call a geek. Exactly halfway between page 168 and page 178, halfway between Randy Stone and me on page 173 of this book is this picture. See this girl on the right? Holding the holy but rowdy banner in the school <laughs> parade. <laughs> I was falling in love with that girl. Now, there are a lot of attractive girls. There were a lot of attractive girls at Heritage High School, attractive for all sorts of different reasons, but for some reason, I was attracted to this one. To me, she was beautiful beyond description. Holy but rowdy. <laughs> That's the way I like them. Holy but rowdy. <laughs> so somewhere in my heart, I resolved to conquer her heart and capture her love. Her name was Susan Coleman. The only problem was she had a yearbook and she would get a senior yearbook and I had a poor biography. So I joined the swim team and I swam like crazy. I just worked so hard even though I sank like a rock. And I advertised the fact that I was on the swim team but I remember praying to God that Susan Coleman would never actually come to a swim meet and see me lose in my little red Speedo and my naked white pasty flesh. <laughs> it was inconceivable to me that something so beautiful could love the real naked and unadorned me just for me. See, I desperately, desperately, desperately wanted to be near her, but was utterly terrified to be near her, for close proximity might reveal my schemes and expose the real me, the anxious, troubled, lonely me. One day in English, I mustered up the courage to talk to her. Every word was calculated and carefully measured, and then she turned to me and said, hey, do you know Randy Stone? <laughs> I think he likes me. Yeah, it just about killed me. I was in agony and I knew that I had work to do. I had to make myself the homecoming prince. I, I wanted to be with her, but I was ashamed to be with her. I wanted to just cover myself that moment. You know what I mean? I wanted to wrap myself in great deeds in a senior biography. I wanted to run and hide, but I couldn't. Well, long ago, like about the class of 31 or 32, there were two young women that wanted to be with Jesus. And Jesus actually was the homecoming prince. Now, he didn't make himself the homecoming prince. He didn't exalt himself, however he would be, and he was exalted. In the words of Isaiah, he had no form or comeliness that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him, and yet he is beautiful beyond description. The two women had him over for dinner. Now, 
I don't know their age, ages exactly. I'm guessing somewhere around 17. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, diakonia in Greek. It's where we get our word deacon. It's also translated ministry. So Martha is doing much ministry. She's doing much serving, and Martha is sitting. <laughs> Which raises some questions, doesn't it? Makes you, it gives you some questions. Like, is Mary lazy? And also, does Jesus need to be served? Does Jesus need ministry, in other words? Does he, does he need to be, you know, th this is the same guy that just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He just turned water into wine. He can make fish swim into swimmer's nets. I mean, if, if Martha doesn't fix dinner, he's not exactly like up the creek. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> Have you ever heard people say, um, you know, we can't all be Marys. This world needs Marthas. <laughs> well, does it? Does Jesus need you to serve him? Clearly, Jesus isn't opposed to service. In fact, he says, the greatest of all must be servant of all. But does Jesus need your service? Does he need your good deeds? Are they necessary? Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much ministry, and she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Do you not care? Tell her, tell her then to, to help me, which brings up another fascinating question. Does Jesus care? That's, that's what Martha asked. What she means is, Jesus, will you judge? Because I've judged. Will you judge between me and my sister? I've judged, and it seems that you're not judging, for clearly I'm the one that deserves your love. In this world, you know, we compete for love, for our love is limited and finite. So if one man is married to several women, his love for each woman is diminished. But God is love, and he is infinite. He can give all of himself to you, and all of himself to your sister or, or brother. So even though there's one homecoming prince, he gives himself completely to each one of us, for each and all of us are the bride of Christ. He gives himself completely to each one of us, and one day after we've learned what love is, I suspect we'll give ourselves completely to one another or to maybe Christ in the other, for we'll no longer live with limited love, but God's infinite, eternal, and absolutely faithful love. And I suppose that's why there's no giving or taking of marriage in, in heaven. We'll all be bound in one covenant. We'll all be truly one body, the bride of Christ. Well, that's pretty hard for us to even imagine. So let's get back to our question. Does Jesus judge? You know, in just two chapters, chapter 12, verse 13 of Luke, a guy asked Jesus to divide his inheritance between him and his brother. And remember what Jesus says to him? He says, man, who made me a judge over the two of you? What a bizarre thing to say. John 5, he says, the father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the son. 
All judgment to the Son. John 8, 15, Jesus says, I judge no one. John 8, 26, this is just 11 verses later. I have much to judge. It's like he refuses to judge, and yet his very presence is judgment. Already his presence is revealing something about Martha and something about Mary. There's something about Mary. Yep. <laughs> now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. The Greek is logos. She listened to his, his word. But Martha was distracted with much diakonia, much service, much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, one thing is needful. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Okay, wow, Mary's portion will not be taken away from her. But that seems to imply that Martha's portion may be or even will be taken away from her. Jesus said, to him who has will more be given. And to him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Is that fair? Mary has Jesus. And what does Martha have? Dirty dishes and resentment. Is it fair that even what she has will be taken away? Well, that raises more questions, doesn't it? What is Martha's portion, and will it be taken away? What is Mary's portion that won't be taken away? And what is the one thing that is necessary? So, what is Martha's portion? Well, isn't it an impressive biography in the senior yearbook? With which she hopes to impress Jesus, conquer his heart, and win his love. She's competing with her sister and afraid that she's going to lose to her sister, and so she judges her sister and judges Jesus' judgment or Jesus' lack thereof. She's offended at the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And you kind of understand that, don't you? I cook, I clean, I minister. No one works as hard as me. And if I don't do it, who's, who's going to do it? And Jesus, do you even care? Jesus, do you even care at all? God, how could you give that to her? What about me? Jesus, have, even, have you even looked in your book? Have you even looked in the book? The book, the book. You, you do know that there are books, right? With a record of our deeds. Revelation chapter 20, the dead are judged by the things in those books, and yet they're already dead. And they will all be thrown into the lake of consuming fire unless their name is written in one other book. Not a book of deeds, but something else. It's as if their deeds don't matter, or they don't matter in the way that they think they matter. So maybe Martha's portion will be taken away from her. And maybe that's not so bad because Martha's portion is bitter. And Martha's portion keeps Martha from Mary's portion. Maybe Martha's portion is ultimately nothing. 
Nothing but a lie. I mean, maybe Martha wasn't actually serving Jesus, but serving herself. Maybe she was trying to serve Jesus to herself. Maybe trying to conquer Jesus, she was actually like killing Jesus. Maybe she wanted to be the homecoming prince, and so she could not be loved by the homecoming prince. Maybe Martha was trying to earn the love of God and so could not hear the love of God or receive the love of God. Martha thought her portion was good, but her portion was evil. Maybe it will be taken away from her, but maybe it will be given back to her as something else or filled with something else. Well, Martha's portion was sin. And Mary's portion is grace. Mary sat. Jesus showed up and Mary sat and listened to God's word. You know, in scripture, Jesus speaks the word of God and he is the word of God. The word of God in flesh. God is love and Jesus is the word of love the word of God. Psalm 16, five, David writes this, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. It's interesting that Jesus uses the word portion. It's like he's suggesting that Martha is feeding on her own flesh and Mary is feeding on him. And he's serving dinner. <laughs> we don't know exactly what Jesus said, but we do know that he is what God says. He is what God means he is what love means. He is God, and you cannot earn God. Like St. Nicholas mentioned on Christmas Eve, there is one other book. One other book beside the book of deeds, and that's the Lamb's book of life. Names are written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. That's like from the edge of space-time itself. Long before you ever decided or did any deed, as if his love is eternal and your life is eternal. As if the Lamb of God, the Word of God, signed your name in his book long, long, long before you even began to think about asking him to do so. He signed it in blood. The life is in the blood, eternal life. Mary sat because God was speaking. Mary. I love you, I have always loved you, I will always love you with all I am and all I have. I give all of me to all of you. Mary, this love is eternal. That means it cannot be changed. Even if you took my life, I'd give my life. Even if you Nail me to a tree. I'd take your sin and I'd transform it into grace. Jesus loved Mary. And according to scripture, John eleven five, 5, Jesus also loved Martha. He had the same love for Martha. He was the very same word for Martha, but the love for Martha sounded like this. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needful, one thing is necessary, stop 
Shabbat, Sabbath. Give it a rest. Sit down, Mary. Sit down, Martha. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm taking your portion away from you so I can give it back to you. I'm taking your portion away from you so I can give it back to you filled with myself. I'm taking your portion away from you so I can give you myself. As long as you think you earn my love, you cannot know my love. Martha, 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 one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good. Mary has chosen the good. That's not a deed that Mary has accomplished, right? She's sitting down. It's more like a deed that God has accomplished in Mary. Mary has chosen the good. I did a word search on that phrase. Do you realize that this is the first time in all of Scripture where it said that someone has chosen the good? In the Garden of Eden, Eve could not choose the good. Why? Because she didn't know what it was. But now, in the presence of Jesus, the ultimate Adam, the Word of God, Mary chooses the good. And Jesus said, God alone is good. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mary chooses God, as God has chosen Mary. That's called faith. And it's necessary. You know, if you're a philosopher, you might say, hey, wait a minute. Only God is necessary. Yeah, he's a necessary being. It's only God, that's right. God is necessary. God is necessary, and faith in us then must be God in us. Like the word of God implanted in us and growing like a seed grows in fertile soil. In the garden, Eve didn't have faith, and so she was not yet finished. But God spoke his word, and his word is Jesus. Jesus comes to Mary in a meal in Luke chapter 10. Jesus comes to Mary on a tree in a garden in John chapter 19 and and 20. Jesus even comes to Mary as the life in her womb At Christmas, you see, we're all Eve, we're all Martha, we're all Eve and Martha, but we all become Mary. When Jesus comes, we sit down and listen. And it's necessary. It's necessary for God's commandment is eternal life, John 12, 50. It's necessary because the word of God will not return void, Isaiah 55, 11. And God creates all things with his word, Genesis 1 and John 1. All things, including you, and especially your faith. So one day, you will sit down. Or you you will kneel down. But until that day, your portion is bitter. For you have believed the lie that you must earn the love of God and create yourself in his image. You see, faith completes us in the image of God. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing cometh by the word of God. The word came that every mouth would be stopped and all would look and all would sit and all would listen. Now, if you didn't get all of that, don't worry. Just get this. Martha's portion is sin. Now, this is counterintuitive. 
But I think sin is trying to earn what you already have, the love of God. Martha's portion is sin. Mary's portion is grace. And the one thing that is necessary is faith. And the presence of Jesus judges sin, revealing grace, and creating faith. And so Jesus says to Martha, 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 sit down. Shabbat, stop, sit, listen. Martha, stop and listen. Why won't Martha stop, sit, and listen? You know, when my son Coleman was a little guy, like around five, I remember he, he just would not admit to being afraid. He would just get busy. So we'd be like sitting in a movie, and at the scary part, Coleman would get up and just start walking around and doing stuff. And I'd say, hey, buddy, are, are, you, are you afraid? He'd go, no, Dad, I'm not afraid. I, I just, I lost something. I dropped something. I, I, Dad, I gotta, I gotta do something. I'm a minister. And you know, there's always ministry to do. There's always someone to call or something that I didn't do. There's always something to be done, and I'm always busy. But maybe I'm just afraid of what I'll hear if I sit down, stop, and listen. Twice during worship, my wife has heard God say this. Tell Peter not to fear me. November 23rd, she heard God say this, and she wrote it down for me. Tell Peter not to fear me. I have nothing but love for him. And you know what I thought? Well, sure, you have nothing but love for everybody. You see, I, I, I didn't trust his word of love. I thought I had to earn it. I thought if it was real, I had to compete for it. So why won't Mary stop, sit, and listen? Well, maybe for the same reason I was afraid to stop, sit, and listen to Susan Coleman in 11th grade. I was afraid of being rejected. Maybe Martha was afraid of being rejected because Martha thought Martha is what Martha does. So Martha better do some more stuff before she sits down. Well, now you know Jesus does reject what Martha does. But what Martha does isn't Martha. For what Martha does is done in fear and not faith. And whatever does not proceed from faith, says scripture, is sin. So you, my friend, you, my friend, are not sin. Why? Because God does not create sin. So don't be afraid to stop and discover who you truly are. Paul Tillich taught that faith is the courage to accept acceptance. It takes a lot of faith to sit with someone in silence. I can sit with my wife in silence without feeling the need to justify myself, explain myself, or cover myself. I can sit with my wife in silence, and I'm learning to sit with God in silence. Well, anyway, I bet Martha longed for Jesus, but she was terrified of Jesus and so wouldn't sit in silence with Jesus, just like I longed for Susan Coleman and was terrified of Susan Coleman. And then when I sat next to Susan Coleman, she turned and she said to me, hey, do you know Randy Stone? <laughs> I think he likes me. Gah! And I just wanted to hide. 
I just wanted to run and hide myself in what? Hard work and fig leaves. I wanted to stand and run away, but I could not. I could not. Why? Because of the seating chart. <laughs> My children owe their very existence to this woman. Mrs. Linda Rydberg who taught masterpieces of American literature to juniors in 1978 and had a seating chart. And so I was commanded to sit three hours each week at a table for two right next to Susan Coleman. I could not leave. It was necessary. And you know, I really worked hard at MAL. I think I, think I did, but I don't remember one thing about, I mean, there's something about Mark Twain or something like that, but I don't remember one thing about masterpieces of American literature, but I'll never forget the smell of, Susan Coleman's hair and the sound of her, her voice. I don't remember much of what she says because it was mostly babble, but I began, to hear, I began to hear the meaning, the logos in what she said. Sitting there for four months, I began to sense her heart. I began to have faith. Faith that this holy but rowdy, beautiful creature might not Reject me, the real me, the unadorned naked me with nothing on my bio page. And it turns out that she began to have faith that I might not reject her, the real her, the unadorned and naked her. And surprise, surprise, I was rather interested in the unadorned and naked her. I mean, just her, you know, without the fig leaves. There's something very biblical about that. Turns out that she told me about Randy Stone to impress me with her popularity. Just as I tried to impress her with my quick wit and swim team stories and the abundance of ski tags dangling from my, from my jacket. <laughs> but sitting there for four months betrayed our acts and our schemes and our personas and began to expose our hearts just enough so that right before Christmas and after a swim meet in which I actually won a race and because Alan Parsons needed someone to, to drive on a double day. And by the way, Alan, I bought your picture right there. If you remember, I don't know, I don't know if Alan drew that or I drew that or Dave Jones drew that, but anyway, that's Alan, but because of Alan, he wanted me to drive on a double day. Well, anyway, after four months of sitting together, I had just enough faith to call Susan Coleman and ask her out on a date. And that was 36 years ago. And now you know, Susan Coleman is uh, Susan Hyatt. And this is my point. I really did not do anything to earn her love. In fact, the biggest obstacle to receiving her love had been trying so very hard to earn her love. Everything I did was unnecessary. And it was taken away for it did not matter. Praise God she never did go to a swim meet and my senior year, I was so enamored with her that I forgot or I didn't even care to fill out the form so that I could have my biography listed next to my picture in the senior yearbook. See, here's the senior yearbook. There's me. And check this out. I have no biography. But Susan is my biography. And the mother of my four children I'd worked so very hard at things that were necessary or needful, things that were bitter and made me bitter, things that amounted to nothing and were taken away. I'd worked so very hard and only one thing was needful and that was to sit and listen to her heart. 
And you know, it's still needful. <laughs> In fact, I think that's maybe the best marriage counseling, best marriage therapy to just get away and sit and listen to each other's hearts. I really didn't do anything to earn her love, but her love changed absolutely everything I did. Let me say that again. I really didn't do anything to earn her love, but her love changed absolutely everything I did and made me who I am. And now I need to say that this illustration is painful for many of you. I think it's painful for all of us. In some ways, it's painful for me because, you see, all human relationships are flawed. And I mean, our marriage definitely isn't heaven. All human relationships are flawed, and no, more, no mortal, no mere mortal loves as God who is love, but in fulfillment or in longing, okay? Whether you're wanting this or you've experienced it a bit and didn't experience it, the whole male and female thing, the whole sex and marriage thing, it's all designed to point to something else or someone else. Why? Because we are the bride of Christ, and he is our groom, and you are loved absolutely, and so God has a seating chart. In fact, that's why you're here this morning. Six days you shall labor, and one day you shall rest. It shall be holy, holy, holy and rowdy maybe, holy unto me. And so we gather every seventh day to sit and hear God's word. And he is actually our portion, his body broken and his blood shed. We can't understand, we cannot understand everything he says, everything he does, but it all means Jesus. It all means I love you. Prayer and meditation is God's seating chart. It's sitting before him and hearing his word deep, deep in your heart. Maybe, maybe reading scripture and, and listening for his word, his living word coming through scripture, speaking to your heart. Sin and suffering is God's seating chart. I mean, God has a way of making you sit down, doesn't he? If you don't sit, well, I mean, he just makes all of us sit down. At times, I've been impressed with my own ministry biography. And so, you know, maybe I really wasn't ministering uh, to him, but to me, whatever the case, it's a gift to have it taken away. The thought that I could ever earn his love is taken away so that I can receive his love. Sin is taken away and replaced with grace, which will not be taken away. Martha's works are rejected so the love that is God can be accepted. You see, it's when you know that you cannot earn his love that you can finally receive his love. And you know, death is kind of like God's seating chart. For who can stand when he appeareth? Malachi 3, 2. In 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But it's far better, far best, it's by far the best to appear before the judgment seat of Christ right now. Right now. It's the one thing that's necessary. I mean, wherever you are, whenever you are, just sit in the presence of Jesus. God is love. And Jesus is the word of love. And that means God is saying, this is how much I love you. From the foundation 
of the world. I have given all I am, my body broken, my blood shed, all I am to all that you are. You cannot make me love you more than I do. You cannot make me love you any less than I do. It is finished. You know, it is what I most desperately want and what I find myself most terrified to do. Sit still and naked in the presence of infinite, eternal love. Well, when you sit in the presence of God, I bet you'll find that there's a Martha in you and a Mary in you. You see, I think there was a Martha in Mary and a Mary in Martha. When you sit in the presence of unconditional love, there is something in you that will want to get up and, and get busy and do things, something that will want to close your, clothe your, yourself in, in your deeds, want to finish the self, justify the self, create the self, something that's afraid. That's Martha. But there's also something else in you that will want to, will not even want to, it will just happen, that it will forget the self and then find the self worshiping. And that's Mary. You are Martha and Mary, and you're judged by the presence of love. Don't do anything. Just sit in the presence of Jesus. Don't do anything. Don't you dare promise anything. Why? Because he's already promised everything. That's what he's telling you. Don't resolve anything. If you resolve anything, just resolve not to resolve. You see, Martha, Martha cannot resolve to be Mary. In fact, there's nothing quite as ugly as a Martha trying to be a Mary or pretending to be a Mary. In other words, there's nothing quite as ugly as self-righteous religion. Martha cannot resolve to be Mary. Martha must die. As all Marys have already died. Martha must sit naked and exposed to the grace of God until all of her arrogance is burned away. Let Martha die and just sit in the presence of unfailing, unending, eternal love. Be filled with the word of love. Commune with love. And now if you ask, well, what's the point? Listen closely, Martha. That is the point. That's the one thing that's necessary. Love is necessary. God is necessary. God is love. And that's where our story ends. The presence of God's word judges Martha's portion and Mary's portion and creates faith in grace a communion of love, the one thing that's necessary. But now you're still maybe wondering, well, yeah, but was, was Jesus ever served? Maybe he doesn't need to be served, but does he want to be served? Well, I think he, I think he does want to be served. And that leaves one last question is, well, is Mary lazy? 
Well, there's one more story about Martha and Mary and, and Jesus and dinner. It's recorded in John 12. It happened the week before Jesus died. John 12, verse 2. They made him a supper, and Martha served. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, uh, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? But Jesus said, leave her alone, Judas. She has kept this for the day of my burial. I would like to think that six days later, as Jesus hung on the cross, he could still smell that fragrance. And no, he would know that someone had loved him even as he had loved all of us. In Matthew and Mark, he comments that wherever the gospel is preached, this deed will be told of her and she will be remembered. It was a deed that would not be taken away. Judas, who was always calculating, estimated the worth of the oil at 300 denarii. That's one year's wage. Martha gave about what? Well, maybe like one denarii, and that's good, okay? Martha gave about one denarii. Mary gave 300 times that, and she gave herself. She lost herself. She, was, she wasn't just distracted. She was utterly gone. Judas wonders, what was she thinking? We all wonder, what was she thinking? Well, I would think maybe Mary wasn't thinking. I doubt that Mary was thinking. I doubt she was calculating. Oh, gee, 10%, 15%. Is that before taxes or after taxes, Jesus? I doubt she was judging. Is this good enough? Am I good as my sister, Lord? What do you think of this? Have I done enough? Her right hand, I bet, didn't even know what her left hand was doing. She was compelled by love. She didn't try to love. She was swept away by love as if love had become her very nature. Have you ever loved like that? Have you ever given like that? Probably not in church during the offering, right? I gotta give, gotta give more. But I bet you have given like that. You just probably don't remember it or don't think of it as, as service. In 1981, I asked Susan Coleman to marry me. The day I bought her wedding ring, I was just so excited. I remember there's this old man named Harry. He was showing me the rings, you know. This one has this leg, this one has. And I remember I just wanted to jump the counter, grab him by the collar and say, Harry, I really don't care about the ring. I just have to give you everything I've got. I have to pay everything I've got. 300 denarii, asked for it. That's what I'll pay. I gotta give you everything I've got, everything I am, because Harry, I got this girl, and she loves me. She loves me just for me, and so I want to. I have to give her everything I have and everything I am. I have to serve her. I want to serve her. It's who I am. May 28th, 1983, I gave her everything I am everything I have. I had tried to conquer love, and love conquered me. And our communion of love bore fruit. Like babies. You know, in Genesis chapter one, the entire law gets summed up in one command. I find this utterly fascinating. You know what the command is? Be fruitful. Only by surrendering to love can we be fruitful. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love does everything that's anything. 
Love is not lazy. Mary was compelled by love. Mary was filled with love. Mary gave birth to love. Mary gave as God has given. Mary was finished in the image of God because she sat and listened to the word of God. And so on that night, when every man betrayed him, when no man could claim to earn his love, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. This is your portion. Take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. And he took the cup, and having given thanks, he said, This cup is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. I think this is what he's saying. Martha, my people, my church, sanctuary, Sanctuary, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needful. This is needful. I am your portion. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel and live. Last night after the sermon up in the foothills, everybody seemed to come up to me and say, I'm such a Martha, I'm such a Martha. And I see you nodding out there. I mean, if right now you're saying to yourself, I'm such a Martha, I'm such a Martha, and you walk out of here going, God, I'm so ticked at myself, I'm such a Martha. You just need to know that's a very Martha kind of thing to do. <laughs> um, and I think Jesus would say this to you, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needful. Stop. Just stop. Sit and listen. This is Isaiah 54. Yahweh is your husband. Now, if you feel like, God, so I just, I just want to give a year's wage. I just want to, fine, do that. That's great. <laughs> and by the way, you don't have to give it here. You give whatever. But, but, but live, uh, live live that way because here's the truth you're not just Martha uh, you came to this table and you received eternal seed even if you wanted to come to this table and you didn't come to this table I think that's faith that's like a mustard seed of faith and you need to know that seed is eternal and that seed is divine and nothing can stop that seed that seed will grow and you will become who you already are because you are married to the one who exists outside of space and time and created everything and is created everything including you and your faith so martha have courage because you're also mary in jesus name believe the gospel and live <laughs>